Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and this is episode three of season 10. Now, I said previously this season that most of our episodes are going to be repeat episodes, but not all, because I also wanted to talk about some people who are not necessarily actors whose journeys we've seen, but writers, for example, whose journeys we've seen and we didn't even know it. And today's guest, Ian Weinreich, is a perfect example of this. If you looked at Ian's IMDb, you would think, oh, interesting, he started out doing kids' shows, and oh, this thing that people really like called Honest Trailers, for example. And all of a sudden, oh wait, he's working on this show called The Flight Attendant? Oh wait, season two, he's also producing the show called The Flight Attendant? Holy shit, and now he's working on a new show for HBO? Oh my god. That's right. And I think this is a really interesting journey because so often as actors, we think that we are the only people in the business who might get pushed into a corner of this is what you're allowed to do. But that also happens to everyone else too. And Ian's going to talk about how he was in that structure, how he unknowingly broke out of it and what his life is like now. He also shares with us his biggest tips for aspiring writers and actors alike and gives us an exclusive peek into his upcoming work on Dead Boy Detectives for HBO. I'm telling you, you actors do not sleep on getting to know the people who are behind the camera and putting together the stories in this process. I think you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy Ian Weinreich. I'm really excited because I have had, I think, two writers on at this point, but never one that I actually know has worked on like really recent shows that I'm really excited about. So Ian, thank you so much for taking the time for this interview. Of course. Thanks for having me on. I know you live on Zoom these days. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. We actually, we started going into the room and then it quickly became my son's friend who had a sleepover had it so we got to stop for a few days and so we're sort of we're like back half the time now but five days a week for a year and a half just on zoom oh my god when you went back into the room was it weird was it like a stutter stop or did you feel like you came back exactly how you were before it's weird because it's not quite the same and like everyone's still a little it used to be such like a social environment and everyone would mm-hmm. eat lunch together and socialize a lot more and now it's like as soon as we break everyone kind of like retracts into their offices and just kind of close the door and like doesn't yeah. want anyone to come in it's certainly better than being in my apartment all day <laughs> yeah it's not quite there yet but i think we're getting there yeah before we get like into the weeds of this process will you give a little hello hi this is what i do this is who i am Sure. Yeah. So hello. Hi. I'm a mostly TV writer. I have a very strange sort of, if you go to my IMDB page, it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. I have a lot of questions. Yeah, I'm sure you do. (laughs) I had a very strange, let's say early half of my career and bizarre track record. But the last few years I did a stint in kids TV and Mm. went through the Disney machine for a little bit and have been on flight attendant for mm-hmm. both its seasons and maybe more. Well, we're still waiting to see. And right now I'm in another room for an HBO Max show that has, that has not come out yet. Cool. 
So talk to me about the impetus of getting into the kid's world and then coming into something like the flight attendant, because they could not be more different. There is no impetus. I don't think anyone is like, I really want to be in kids programming. It was a great experience in a lot of ways. Everyone there was either just getting started or at like the tail end of their careers and had Mm -hmm. done like most of my people I worked with had been on all these shows that I'd watched in the 90s. They had done Seinfeld or like Mad About You or they were all like sitcom writers from the 90s who had either kind of like burned a few bridges or (laughs) were kind of tired of dealing with the hours that goes into most sitcom Mm -hmm. rooms. So it was a great learning experience in that most of my bosses were substantially older than me and had been around for a long time. You know, those shows, especially the multicam ones, are just like you're just writing jokes all day. So if you're interested in writing sitcoms or being just like a comedy writer or even being like a late night writer, like that whole entire job is just set up punchline, set up punchline, set up like that. There's nothing else going on in those shows. So it was a great learning experience, but it's also a bubble that is very hard to sort of pop your way out of. And so people get stuck in it. And it's hard to break out, but it's also WGA. So like the money is still pretty good. I've been on both where it was like, I had one show where we're like ordering dinner like three, four nights a week. And we're like, why are we still here doing this? And then I've been on others where it was like four o'clock and they're like, let's just go. And then the actors are, kids are great. Their Mm -hmm. parents can be interesting. Yeah. How did you physically get the job? Did you submit? How did you get into your first kids writer's room? Like my 20s were very much like I was an assistant at a production company, just writing on the side. Mm -hmm. I was always writing, trying to just like write sketches, write anything I could do to try to get representation. I was doing that in my early 20s. And I was eventually getting work like websites doing original content. I was on this web series called Honest Trailers eventually. You know, I mean, you know my husband really well. He's a big big fan. fan. (laughs) I think that's how we actually bonded at first Mm -hmm. we first met. Especially in LA and especially to film people, those were like a big deal. And in meetings, it at least gave me something to talk about on these generals because people would see that and like, they're like, oh, I just saw the Skyfall one and your name was on it. So I was always just like doing stuff like that. And then eventually that just kind of built up enough. My current manager, this is now, you know, 12 years ago, had just left being an agent and was becoming a manager. And she asked two different people if they knew anyone looking for representation because she needed to fill out her client list. And they both happened to recommend me. So I got very lucky. And so that was how I got my manager. And through her, I ended up getting an agent. And then it was literally just like through a staffing meeting like the showrunner of the show happened to also be at the same agency and agreed to meet with me and my then writing partner. We weren't looking for it. We were meeting on a mm-hmm. bunch of other shows and it was just, it was one of the first ones we had, the first one that we got offered because they were looking for a writing team. And my writing partner at that time is Japanese. So they were like, we wanted to fill out the rooms so was not just white guys, which mm-hmm. basically was almost entirely. Tell me it was the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was 2013. So the entire writer's room actually was just men. And what show was this? This was called Mighty Med. It wasn't even Disney okay. Channel. It was Disney XD. It was like the yeah. boy-centric one. So no one was watching it. And we were there till like 10 o'clock. And we're like, no one is watching <laughs> this. But it also, it was sort of like the last gasp of, I think, those types of rooms. Like, I've never... Mm-hmm. Even then, you were like, this is kind of weird that it's just like men in this room. And on Flight Attendant, I'm the only, I mean, the showrunner, but I'm the only other man in the room. And I'm the only straight white man on the entire show. I mean, what an evolution that you've seen in literally nine years. Yeah, you saw it happening. I can't imagine there ever being a room like that one that I was in ever again. Yeah, not anymore. I think we're done with that. You mentioned getting a manager 
Yeah. I think this is where a lot of people, I mean, listen, actors have their own thing about agents and managers. It's like a whole world in amongst itself, but as a writer, it seems like an absolute, like you're digging for diamonds type of thing to get representation. Yeah. Obviously you were recommended to someone, but did you have specs or your own things that you give them? Like what was the process of taking that meeting? Well, first, yes, you have to have material. I mean, I wish I understood TikTok and Instagram more than I actually do. It's okay. It's it's a lot. I'm tired know, all the time. Like, <laughs> having content, whatever it is, if you're trying to be a writer, like you need to be writing. That's how you're going to get hired. I mean, yes, people might see a video you did. And that's, I think, a little more geared towards acting. If you're writing your own content and you're putting stuff out there and it's getting views, and that's certainly a way that someone might be like, hey, I'm a manager. Or I love your stuff. But for the most part, the way you're going to get staffed is they're going to send your samples out. And at the time, because I had been writing for so long, and you don't need this, but I had like a stack of like, here's this spec pilot, here's a film. It was like too much material. When my manager was like, you know, I'd love to read something. Can you send it? I'm like, I had stuff to send her. And I think that's how you're also going to get staffed is they're going to send along whatever spec you have if it's an hour long or a sitcom. And I mean, it's different now. It used to be that you would write a spec of an existing show. You'd have to write an episode of like Seinfeld and they would use that as your sample. And I don't know anyone who does that anymore. Now it's just, you got to write pilots. Your own stuff. Yeah. You're like a complete new pilot from not an existing show. That's how you're going to get staffed. That's what's going to get sent out as well as that's how you're going to get representation. I mean, I don't know anyone who gets it from like cold for writers at least, from like just sending material to managers. But when someone's eventually going to ask, what do you have? You need to be ready with like, I have this. Aren't there a lot of rules about like cold submitting stuff because it becomes like intellectual property and stuff like that? Most places can't touch it. Yeah. And so you're paying to print the stuff out. You're paying to mail it. And I can tell you as someone who used to be an assistant, it's not going past the reception desk. I know it's very, it's very depressing. So in terms of that, what would you say to a writer who's listening right now and is like, I'm at a place where I want to get representation. I'm not even sure where to start. I do think that even though I'm very socially awkward and uncomfortable in social settings, (laughs) that there are benefits to these like networking events. And especially like, I'm still part of like my NYU and UC Santa Barbara, like they will have these like networking events. And obviously a lot of it is luck, but also a lot of it is someone eventually is going to be like, oh, like this person's really cool. I enjoy spending time with them or I've heard really cool things about them. Let me ask them if they have anything because now I need more clients. And so having something when someone asks that question, I'll give you a sort of somewhat slanted example. Please. Maybe like a year ago or so, an old writer's PA from that stupid Disney show I worked on hit me up and was like, hey, I'm looking to become a writer's assistant. I want to work up a little more and eventually get staffed on something. Do you know anyone who's maybe looking for a writer's assistant or is another your show? Or Because that is sort of the one sort of ladder you can climb, like mm-hmm. writer's PA, script coordinator, writer's assistant, like, and then eventually kind of maybe get your own script and then get staffed. Like That's kind of the other avenue. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it so happened that day, my boss was like, hey, we need a new writer's assistant to handle all the Zoom stuff we're doing, all the notes on Zoom. Like, so anyone knows when they can recommend, let us know. And so this guy randomly emailed me like an hour later. And I'm like, dude, like, 
great timing. Send me your resume. And he goes, I don't have a resume ready. Let me get back to you. And I kid you not, two months later, I get an email from him with his resume. Oh, like, oh, that so, is so sad. You know, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's like, you got to be ready and have that thing. First of all, don't ask someone for a job and not have your resume. I mean, not for obviously <laughs> right. a writer, but like yeah. in general, like that's insane. But you just need to be constantly, I mean, it's good training, actually, I think if you want to be a TV writer, what happens a lot, I think is that people spend so much time crafting their spec pilots, and they should like you really should this thing is your business card. So you got to hone it and get it great. But it may have taken you two years. And in TV writing, you have to do that again in like eight days. And so constantly writing, finishing one spec and like, okay, what's next, and just getting in the habit of doing that, I think is the best thing you can be doing right now. Because as a TV writer, especially if that's what you want to do, it's on demand, which can be scary, especially if it's comedy, because you're going to be on set, like your boss will be like, joke's not working, give me two more punchlines. And you're just like, I don't know. Right now. Right. Yeah, right now. Yeah. I mean, so that's a skill set. But I think, you know, practicing and training for a writer would be just to constantly be like, what's the next back or what can I, what can I be working on to fill my little packet a little bit? I think that's such good information because much like the acting world, sometimes it feels like it's very theoretical or like there's nothing Mm -hmm. to grasp onto. So to know that there's like, let's practice this consistent skill is just good information for people to have. We have some questions from actors specifically. I want to know before we get to those as a writer Now that you've been, when you moved from season one of the flight attendant to season two, you also became a producer. Mm -hmm. How did that differentiate your time in the writer's room or on set? Like what changed in that process? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting you ask that because a lot is supposed to change, Mm -hmm. but because of COVID, I was not on set producing my episode, which is sort of the big part of what that jump is supposed to be. But beyond that, it is a lot more the responsibility of when you're writing and when you're breaking your story and writing your episode, your brain starts thinking more about like, Oh, this is going to require a picture car and that's going to eat into the budget or on the show I'm on right now, someone was like, Oh, like this creature should be like crawling on the wall or like on the ceiling. And you have to start thinking like, that's cool. And it's really spooky. But how many setups is that going to be? We're going to have to get a plate. We're going to have to do stunt work. Like that's mm-hmm. half a day right there for this, you know, two second thing. And so things like budget and time and production become a larger part of your job as opposed to just let me pitch crazy shit and, yeah. and you know, and just be <laughs> sort of like a, and just be an on-call writer for whenever they need something. And then eventually, you know, cause I was on set for the kids stuff and for mm-hmm. Disney. So I do have like multi-cam set experience, which is very different, but you are still like, you're okaying. When you're producing it, you're going to be getting things like, this is the wardrobe we're thinking, or this is what we want the prop to look like. And you have to be like, yes, no, yes, yes. And you know, so it's like, it yeah. is much more hands-on as opposed to just doing the writing of it. Like you are meant to be up producing your episode. It's actually, you know, there is an article recently on, I want to say Vice. I could be wrong. That is really interesting because it's sort of saying two things. One, that COVID, because of all the protocols that there's now like, there's been two years where writers, producers who are not like EP and co-EP have not been on set and have no set experience. And then what is that going to mean for the future where there's a whole generation of TV writers now who don't know what it's like to be on set for three weeks. 
And at the same time, they're also like, because of these shorter rooms, you know, before, if you were on a show, 20 something episodes a year, that meant you were probably working 40 weeks a year. You wouldn't move up from like staff writer to story editor until an entire year went by. And then maybe two more before you're a co-producer. And now like you could theoretically do that in one year because you're only having like a 15 week room or something. So if you're doing two or three rooms a year, you can make that jump from staff writer to co-producer and have zero experience with producing. And basically they were saying this article, I wish I, I think it's vice. It was like, no one knows how to show run because no one in the last four years has had like five to 10 years experience as a writer before they became a showrunner because they're doing this all in like one or two years. I'm grateful that I was able to move up as much as I have, but it's certainly like, I think about that. Like, I don't know how to do a lot of that, which I shouldn't say because I have a pilot at Amazon and uh, I do (laughs) want to run it. Exactly what he's doing. And also, no, you know, it's funny. It becomes like almost, it's like you have to understand the mentality of like a line producer at that point. Yeah, it's Um, very much, that's exactly what it is. And I guess to to compare it would be like, You've been making sketches with your friends as an actor. You're just thrust into a role where you have to like, it's a, it's a period piece in Victorian England and you have to cry on demand. And you're like, I've been making TikToks. Like, I don't know. I haven't had any training. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I think it's, that's sort of, I think the comparison, I almost said vine and then I'm like, I'm going to age myself. Really yes. Well. Yeah. We did. I mean, TikTok is like literally vine, but we're, you know, we're old, so we don't know. Yeah. So then did you have any say at all in casting when you were a producer? How much did you know about the cast for that episode? Obviously, Flight Attendant has a pretty ensemble cast. So you guys don't yeah. have like a ton of new characters every episode. A lot of that comes down to your showrunner and the EP and how much involvement they want you to have with that. I was, I would say fortunate that my boss trusts my opinion and will run, you know, have me watch the self tapes. Oh, was that your first time sitting through that process or have you done that before? No, I, and I'm curious what the acting side of it is. I used to would have to do casting for in-person casting for Disney Channel shows. Really? They had you go in person for the casting as a writer. Yep. Wow. Okay, Which great. I'm not a fan of. <laughs> um, I'm so uncomfortable in them. And I feel like my energy is like palpable. And I'm like, I don't want them to feel that because I want them to do a good job. But it's like, I'm so awkward and uncomfortable in those situations. I think that's important to point out is that like, Everyone in the room, whether you're in the room, or whether you're someone watching a self-tape, right? Which is all we do now is that like, at the end of the day, we're all still people and we all still have different energies and different quirks and yeah. different things. So as actors, sometimes back in the day when we would go in a room and someone would be a little awkward, a little something, we'd instantly be like, it was my performance. It was me. Right, or like, they're I'm not saying. connecting. Like, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't want people to think that. I mean, sometimes that is the case. It's important to point like, out, right? Yeah, to show just like, like people are people. You want, you know, so I would just bury my head in the script <laughs> and like not, but beyond the traffic side of it, of like, I don't yeah. have to drive 45 minutes for a five minute audition anymore. Do you find self tape helpful? I do. I do because I feel much more in charge of what ends up in front of people because I can see it. Whereas before I was like, I don't know, you know, you, you can ask all you want, like, what's the framing? 
And they're like, we'll just follow you. And I'm like, right. But does that mean you're staying? Like, it just changes. Right, right, right. And before, you know, you had no control over what the lighting was, how, what room you were walking into. Whereas, you know, if I'm doing something ridiculously silly at home or like super dramatic, for example, I can set the complete tone of the space that I want to do it in. And I can do it when I'm in the right headspace and I can control so many more elements of what turns out. I do miss direction. You know, we don't always know what, you know, sometimes the redirect is like, great, but like, she's crying about her dad. Yes. But she actually kind of hated her dad. And I'm like, oh, that changes everything. Great. Let me try that. And that's super fun. And I miss that. And I also feel like we're not doing callbacks as much. Things are moving a lot quicker. So I do feel like I miss redirection and seeing, and we just have to trust that people are seeing our potential and giving us options. Yeah. What was it like watching self-tapes? I mean, I certainly preferred that. I don't know. I feel like I got a better sense of their performance, I think, because for me, and this is, I'm sure everyone has a different opinion, but for me, I'm like, oh, it's it looks like I'm watching them. I mean, you're literally watching them on film as opposed mm-hmm. to seeing them in person. It's a completely different vibe as far as if I see them on tape, it's going to be like what's like watching them on TV. But if I'm seeing them in person, I can't quite, it's like a disconnect. I'm like, um, it's almost more like they're doing theater or something. It's hard mm-hmm. to want to perform for 10 people. Whereas right. like with a self-tape, it's you and the reader and you can create intimacy in a different way. And I think that you, you do look different on camera. You do look. And I also yeah. just like, I prefer to not wear shoes. <laughs> I would just <laughs> rather be barefoot. That I can, that I can, <laughs> I can relate to. I mean, also you can choose who, who you're reading with. And it's not yeah. like a casting assistant who maybe is like, I don't care. 100%. That's a big help too. You can literally act, you're, you're acting against an actual performance back to you. Yeah. And I think, it, I mean, obviously if you like seeing them better, I think you probably can tell that people can do some really solid work in those. I mean, my a friend of mine edited this whole thing together. I won't say what show, this is the one that I, I will not say <laughs> he got, he got cast on a big role for him and he edited this like self tape with like cutaways in it, which I don't, think everyone's looking for, but for this particular job, it was very much like we want to see how crazy you can kind of be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that would have happened in the room. Yeah. There's a creative element too, that you get yeah. to play with a little bit more. Have there been actors you've seen and you're like, oh, I'm really excited to write for this person. Oh, absolutely. Anytime someone like makes choices, you at least know, even if they're not nailing what you put into the sides and you, what, how you envision the sides to be read, if they're at least making choices, you get excited by the fact that like, oh, like I can throw shit at this person and they're going to roll with it. Any audition I've ever watched that stood out, I can honestly say, I mean, sometimes there are roles where it's like, you just need to say the line. It's like, if you're, you know, a waiter or something, yeah. like, I get yeah. it. <laughs> for the most part, putting a twist that isn't obvious always stands out to me when I'm watching it. Cause it's like, oh, like they brought something to it that yeah. I didn't see as the writer. And I know that I can trust them that, they can take a, like a straight line and find something to make it pop a little bit. That's really good to hear. Cause I think oftentimes we're told like casting likes to see that a lot, but to know that a writer, we can take your words and your intention and play with it a little bit more. It kind of gives actors a little more carte blanche. As long as you're getting the intent of what's there for me, I always like to see something that doesn't feel cause you're watching, look, you're watching so many of these that Sometimes I feel like just something different catches your attention because you're sick of seeing six in a row that's done the exact same way. 
Yeah. Are there things that you would like actors to know that come from acting on set that changes them potentially being on a show? Have you Mm. seen bad behavior that perhaps an actor hasn't been brought back or like you guys in the writer's room? Do you talk? Like what, (laughs) what do we, what do we need to know? Everyone talks. I can say that. (laughs) I can definitely say that everyone talks. Also something that I won't, I won't give details of names and shows. Let's just say there have been roles in a second season of a show where we wanted to possibly bring someone back from the first season and certain people's names were immediately discounted because of their behavior on set from season one, because everyone does talk. And whenever you're watching a TV show, especially when you're, when you were growing up and you'd see a show and you're like, why would they kill that character off? Like they were the best character. I love them. Chances are it's because they were a dick on set. (laughs) That's really what I've learned. If nothing else, I've learned that being difficult on set or creating drama or Mm. mostly men being creepy Mm. to the women on set usually means you're not being brought back. You got to think that the crew and these actors, you guys worked so long and so many hours that the thought of like spending 14 hours, five days a week with someone who is not cool, no one wants to deal with that. Crew, cast, anyone. And so if it's easy enough to just not deal with it, like they're not going to. How much choice do you guys have in that in the writer's room? Do you kind of dictate how it looks or does obviously showrunners probably like this is what this season's going to look like and who we're going to have, but how much do you guys craft oh, that? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of both where there is showrunner will come in and be like, this is what it is, but there's a lot of holes to fill. And that's sort of what our job becomes, which is like, he'll know, or she will know, or they will know. Episode three, I know that I'm going to want them to cheat on their husband. I don't know with who. I don't know, you know what situation that's going to arise in, but we know we want to get there. And then it's our sort of job to throw ideas at the showrunner and be like, what if it's this character? Or what if it's this mm-hmm. new character? I feel like you come in in the season and there's a big tree with no leaves on it and just bare branches. But it's a big tree and there's a lot of branches. But we sort of have to then go and help the showrunner like put leaves on it so that it looks full again. And so it is a very collaborative thing. I mean, a good showrunner will come in with a vision and they should. And like most networks, you have to like present, here's the season, here's what I'm thinking. You sort of have a roadway in front of you and you're there to kind of like sort of pepper things in and, and make their job easier. Sounds really creative. Do you feel creative at the end of the day? Like, do you feel like you really, that's what you do? On a good day, yeah. I mean, look, I think everyone in in most creative fields will have that imposter syndrome day where Mm -hmm. they're just like, none of my pitches were good. Nothing got in. I'm so bad at this job. Why why do I do this job? But for the most part, yes, I find, I mean, the reason that I'm, I do some film work, but I don't, I won't be like, I don't like it as much. I'm just not as good at it. (laughs) But also I don't like it as much because... I really like the collaborative nature of TV writing. It's sort of the best of both worlds because it's very much you're in a room, you're all collaborating together, you're all pitching together. You know, you would pitch something and I'd build off that or vice versa. And then when it's time to go write your outline in your episode, you then get to go into your office and close the door and be alone for a week. So there is sort of the best of both worlds of very collaborative. And then I get to be a hermit and not talk to anyone. Which, <laughs> which, yeah, I love. But the thought of but doing that 
full time, it's, I feel like is, I mean, after two years in isolation, I'm not looking forward to doing that again. And also for me, and we can get back to the acting side of stuff, but on the writing front, I have friends who are very successful, way more successful than me as film writers, make a lot of money and have never actually had a film made. They've mm. just sold specs. They've done rewrite works. They've done writing assignments and they've never, but nothing's ever been produced. And for me, at least I like, I, it's important to me to have that like finished product. And with TV writing, you're sort of, if you're on a show, you're, unless for, you're on a network where they've just canceled a bunch of stuff before they've gone to production, which I won't name uh-huh. which one that is. Unless it's that within six months, it's going to be made and then on air that year. For me, like that's what I'm working towards. Yeah. It's like a complete circle moment. My nightmare in general is just like screaming into the abyss. Uh-huh. Like I've, yep. I've, I've, yeah, yep. I've worked for, I've written on like websites and like blogs and where I'm like, no one is reading this. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, this is literally just for like clicks that no one is getting. And like, this is what I do. But the existential nightmares I had were palpable. <laughs> so I'm not looking to do that again. No, I mean, that's real, right? I think actors also get that from like when we've turned in like a hundred self tapes and we don't hear anything yeah. back. I think that's, it does feel like screaming into the abyss is like definitely on all sides of yeah, this I'm business. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, Sam here popping in really quick to ask you if you are enjoying this podcast season. If so, have you enjoyed previous solo episodes? If you like those, I'm just going to direct your attention to the One Broke Actress Patreon. On the Patreon page, we now have weekly podcast episodes just for Patreon subscribers. And Patreon starts at just $8 a month. I know some people have a Patreon and it's kind of just a page where you basically donate to them almost, but I don't see mine that way. In fact, the One Broke Actress Patreon is a weekly content machine. So the Patreon actors get bonus podcasts from me every single week. They get tons of bonus content. They also get extra training. So we actually had a pop-up class with Put Me On Self-Tape recently where everyone got to self-tape and get their self-tapes critiqued. We have a mindset workshop coming up soon. And all of this is recorded and saved for your future watching. So if you join late, you still have access to all of the things you previously missed. There are podcast episodes on there about audition tracking. There is one about my previous booking broken down from start to finish. There's a podcast about getting directed on set. There is a podcast specifically with a social media manager talking all about social media for actors. I am so, so passionate about developing the Patreon to be a place where you can go and get tons of resources at the lowest price possible. So if this is something you're interested in, make sure to click the link in our bio. Like I said, Patreon pricing starts at $8 and then the more benefits you want, the more you can go up from there. If you guys have any questions, you know where to find me anytime one broke actress on Instagram. Did I mention that Patreon subscribers also get close friends access on Instagram, meaning they get extra stories and content that nobody else sees? I don't think I mentioned that. Hmm. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and let's get back to the podcast. Actors get a little, and this is this will be a great question for you because, as you said, you self-define yourself as socially awkward, which I don't think you are, but that's fine. But at networking events and things like that, mm-hmm. have there been things or people and things they've done in terms of trying to network with you that are wins or that are, I wish someone would tell them not to do this anymore. Because we are told often as actors to network with writers because they are creating the next shows. What are some yeses and nos of that? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it's an obvious no that I would tell any, whether it's a writer or an actor, it's like the, can you read my screenplay? 
question, which I guess coming from an actor would be... We have them too, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, so I, like, I'm trying to think of what the corollary is, but like that version mm-hmm. immediately is like a turnoff, especially when it's like a film script. Like if someone... Like at least give me like a 30 page sitcom pilot, you know, like when it's like 130 pages. Yeah, yeah. What is this dense World War II like (laughs) drama? God. And I guess here's the difference. A lot of times when someone asks that, it's not because they want to understand what they're doing wrong or what they're doing right and get feedback. It's always like, I want this person to love this so much that they're going to give it to their agent or the manager or their showrunner. And so for me... If someone's like, hey, I'm working on this thing. I don't know if it's any good. I'd like to do another pass on it. I would love to get some feedback, some honest feedback on it. I respond much more to that because then it's like someone who generally wants to better their craft, which sounds obnoxious, but like I respond much more to that than like, can you read my screenplay? And that's something, I mean, I still will do that. Like I have friends, like I'm actually tomorrow, like I asked my boss, like, can I do my pitch for the show I'm pitching in the fall? And I do it for you and just hear what you have to say because I want it to be better or I want to know if something's not coming across or, and so having those friends, whether it's acting or writing, have those friends you can rely on to be like, be you know, constructive, but be honest with me yeah. um, is important. And so like, if someone is just coming up to be like, can you, Hey, would you mind reading this? Which happens all the time. Or my favorite is when you then just get it, you meet someone and then the next day they just send you an email unprompted. And they're like, here's this script I wrote. If you wouldn't mind reading it. So yeah, so but so those are the big no's, and I think people should know those. That's a pretty obvious one. As far Mm -hmm. as the yeses, beyond just like wanting constructive criticism and you know actually wanting it and not just pretending like you do, and that's a good question. I mean, just talking with people about stuff I'm watching, stuff they're watching, things that they've liked from the past, or like shows we have in common that we like. As an example, your husband and I, I feel like we spend half the time. He'll come and be like, hey, did you see this on Hulu last night or something? And we end up talking about it for half an hour. And I feel like mm-hmm. those are the conversations I respond the most with. Like natural human connection. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I I mean, it's a personal thing. If someone, if I'm at a networking thing or whatever, and those types of questions come up, like, what are you really into right now that I should be watching? Or I feel like even though it seems like a superficial and facile question, it usually leads to a conversation about influences or stuff from childhood that we both like but maybe something that's a little more on point would be and like business-minded is just like when people ask me like if they can pick my brain on and stuff they should be doing or working on or you know how they can round out their skill set I, I don't know I, I always personally respond to people who and I want to say asking for help but like or looking for help mm-hmm. but like who want to have like a more of a conversation. Yeah. And not just a, hey, will you watch this? Hey, will you read this? Totally. It's that human touch of it all. You know, media is the great equalizer in that way. Like we can all, we can all talk about what we watched this weekend, yeah. no matter what we did. There's enough out there now where you're, you've watched something this week or you've read something this week. And like, I feel like that's how you build, I don't want to say necessarily friendships, but that's how you build mm-hmm. relationships in the industry. It might take a year or two or something. But then, I mean, I'll be honest, flight attendant came from, I had a spec going out. I asked someone if they would mind before it went out, like reading it. And if anything stood out to them that they could call attention to as, as like, oh, this is this a plot hole here. If they would let me know. They read it, gave me very nice feedback and very honest feedback. 
they liked it. And she's a year and a half later, they were staffing flight attendant and remembered me and remember that script. And that's how I was able to break out of kids TV. And that kind of changed everything for me. It came from, you know, it was a year and a half later and it came from someone who I had a professional relationship with, who knew I wasn't coming to them for like, to give this to their agent 18 months later, it, you know, remembered me and remembered that script. And I think I hope to do the same thing if I have the opportunity and, those types of relationships are what get, whether it's acting or writing or even like I'm sure being a DP or whatever, like those are the things where people want to help each other when they have those types of connections. That I feel like that's Hollywood in a nutshell. Right? I mean, hon- like... honestly, I, yeah, it was very much my Hollywood moment. <laughs> that is the coolest. I, I, I mean, that. a lot of my, one of my best friends is a very similar story where it was like, it was just a, a friend of ours that liked having him around and liked his sense of humor had a show on Fox for a couple of years and we're finally opening up staffing and just like on a ski lift on a random ski trip we were all on was like, Hey, do you have a sample? That's it. That was it. But they had the sample, right? They had the sample. Going back to our previous yes. conversation is like, if you were involved in these conversations, if you were at a point in your career where uh, actors often to ask me about networking and I'm like, well, how, like how's home base, like, right. Like mm-hmm. what's your craft? How's your materials? Like before we go searching for people to send it to, because that's what people, once they get on your side, they'll say like, send me your stuff, whether you're a writer, whether you're an actor. And if you don't have stuff to send, that's good. You don't want to be in those conversations yet. <laughs> yes. And I also think to that point, and I'm sure this applies with acting as well, but like not to rush, yes. like nothing drives me crazier than when someone sends me a script that I've agreed to read for whatever reason. And like six hours later, I get actually, you know what? I, I looked, took another look at it and I, I, I added this thing here and here's, here's a newer draft. That'll go on for like a week. And I'm just like, I've read the first 30 pages like twice now. And then, so I feel like take your time get it in the shape you want it to be in before you you start advertising you're ready to. And it's sort of the same thing with that resume story I told you, where it's like, yeah. instead of rushing into it, I think and whether it's stuff you, if you're editing a reel or you're editing a scene you were in, I think it's the same thing where it's like, take an extra day. Most things take so long in this town anyway, that like, unless it's the one situation where you need it, someone's asking for it. I need it right now, right now, right now. Like take a few hours and like, make sure it's the right version Make sure it's attached to the email when you send it. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's also a, a big no for me is when I get the email the next day, like, actually, you know, wait, wait try, read this one instead. How much of your time do you spend reading scripts versus how much of your time do you spend writing? I don't read as many scripts as I should anymore. I used to spend a good amount of time doing it. I will say this, though, that like, I still will run into things where I need to write a scene or a sequence. And I'm like, how, like, how do I actually write this efficiently? And so it's not just like a block of action that no, it's going to mm. bore anyone. And I, that's when I go and I'm like, there was a similar kind of sequence in Back to the Future. And I'll find the script for that. And I'll read that. I'm like, okay, this is how they did it. And it's very efficient. And I understand the best way to do it now. That's what I look at scripts now. I find it as a tool for the sort of structure and like the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, I'm writing every day for the most part. Maybe not, maybe like five days a week I will write. Whether it's a new spec or... I'll write a one pager for a feature idea I had, or I'll write an idea for a comic book or something mm. just to kind of nothing within the last two, two and a half years has proven itself more than I have a lot of free time on my hands. There were like weeks that went by during the pandemic when I'm like, I haven't done anything. I could have written like a new pilot this week. I could have written a feature in all this time. I could have written a novel in all this time. 
which I did do. And it's terrible. I know one will ever see it, <laughs> but I did it. Cause I'm like, I need something to do. And it's like, I will try to write something every day if I can. And, you know, as I'm getting older, I'd like to be more purposeful with my time. Mm-hmm. But I do think for any young, I mean, I think for actors too, it's very important when you're getting started to read scripts and see how they're written. I wonder if, I mean, this is something you know better than me, but like reading a script and then from something that's been made and then watching it and seeing. It's my favorite activity. Yeah. Okay, good. So like, yeah. I feel like that, I feel like that's very, that could be very helpful where you're like on the page, it just looks like this, but somebody took this and did X, Y, and Z with it. And I see like maybe where that idea came from. And I see, you know, where they're able to jump off and make choices versus just reading what's on the page. And I think for writers too, like that's the best way to learn how to write screenplays and TV shows is to just read them. I don't know how helpful those like write a screenplay. And I mean, knowing structure is very important, especially in film. But I think once you sort of understand that a little bit, the best thing you can do is just read scripts. When you write a script, how much are you thinking about story structure? Because as actors, we're told being able to break down a script and break down story, it kind of feels like we reverse engineer your guys' job. It seems as though you put all of these bajillion parts into some seamless script. And then we as actors are like, okay, now let's deconstruct this. And this is important because it led to this and led Mm -hmm. to this. So it feels like we kind of reverse engineer your stuff. So how much are you thinking about that when you're writing? Are you just writing? Like, what's your style? I mean, it's probably both. It really depends on the kind of story you're telling. And I mean, here's what I'll say. My weakness as a writer, and this is going to sound absurd, is theme and character. My strength is plot. You'd think that would make you more of a movie writer. Yes, you would. You would think that. (laughs) You would think that, Sam. But I have the benefit, though, of the shows I work on are one of mine now is like a procedural, and Hmm. I'm coming off of like a suspense thriller, which is, you know, cat and mouse or Hitchcock stuff, where it's a lot of like, for example, I would be handed an episode like, hey, sequence isn't working. Ian, like, can you turn this into a cat and mouse sequence? Because mm. I know that I I can do that. Whereas whenever I'm asked, what is the theme of this episode? I'm like, I don't know. I just wanted to do something cool with like a chase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think about that stuff secondary to what is a cool story. But I think as far as like, if we do our job right, we are looking at it as how are these beats affecting this character? And I think those are also a lot of the notes we get back from studio and network mostly where it's like, you know, what is this, how is this hitting this character? Like, what is the point of the scene if not Mm -hmm. changing their POV somehow or affecting their emotions somehow? And, you know, take a look and dig deeper into that, which is a note we get a lot. And it's a good note because it's always like, there should be a clear track of, from a character point of view, from an emotional point of view, as far as how you're going to play it, of A to B to C to D, you know, so I think breaking it down on the way you're saying in a good script, not one that I've written, in a good script should be a useful tool because it should be engineered that way. I mean, it's so interesting that you get that note from the network because that's the note that I've gotten a lot from my acting coach is like, oh, interesting. find out like, why, why this, why that? Like, it's like, you know, like three-year-olds, like why? Yeah. Well, <laughs> she's, you know, her parents had money. Why? How did that affect her? What, you know, it's, it's just interesting to think that that's also in their purview. And I mean, I think thinking about that will affect how you play a character. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you can break down that from that, that she probably came from money, you're going to play different than if like, oh, they grew up in 
Trenton, New Jersey and or totally. you know, Nouveau Reach or something like that. And so it's certainly a good way of looking at it. Are there things that actors or people in general might not understand about how a writer's room works? <laughs> yes. Um, I don't, I don't mean that like facetiously because I don't think no one, they shouldn't understand it because you know, it's not something that's well documented. Yeah. Yeah. The question I get asked most often is if like one person will write the dialogue for a specific character and someone else will write the dialogue for another character in the same episode, does one person write like the action lines and then someone else writes the character dialogue? That sounds confusing in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, thank God we don't do it that way. because <laughs> That sounds like a nightmare of, of organization. So I get that all the time. I got literally out of last weekend from a very intelligent friend of mine. So it's like, they just don't know. Unless you've been in a writer's room, you probably don't know how it works. It's very much, the short version is, it's usually one or two people writing an entire episode. And you're writing the dialogue for every character. And I think where the disconnect comes is that it's surprising that one person is writing the voice of the 70 year old, you know, family scion who is from the succession of Scotland. And mm-hmm. that same person is writing the 28 year old degenerate son who is a completely different voice. And it feels like two people should maybe should be writing them. It's just writer. Part of your job is writing in these different voices. That must be challenging. Do you feel like the actors from, for example, season one of Flight Attendant informed parts of how season two was written? I mean, it informed how parts of season one were written. We were mm-hmm. we had the benefit of Kaylee was an EP on it. And she has a very distinct personality in a good way. My boss had the pleasure of before even selling the show of, of working with her on trying to sell it and understanding who she was and her sort of vibrancy and and her sense of humor. And that very much became part of Cassie's character. And because only the pilot was written, we did a, a good amount of casting before we really dug into the season. And so I'm pretty sure that Dasha was cast, I think, second. And so she has a very distinct personality. Super. Yeah. And so, and also the benefit of streaming is a lot of times you're now writing all the episodes before we even start shooting. And so even if we'd gotten maybe halfway through the season before we cast certain people, we were then able to go back and be like, we really like this thing they do. Let's feed that into the earlier scripts. And so the more, you know, the actors like that, it is very helpful and does I mean, so much of season two certainly came from knowing Annie, Max, and Cassie, like knowing that when those three of them get together, they have a very specific vibe. And that informed a lot of the writing for season two. We put them into more scenes together and it was a large part of it. Cool. As you're also writing and stuff, did you watch, if you went back to do rewrites and stuff, so is rewriting happening while you're like watching dailies or something like that? Because the show is very much serialized, It's hard to rewrite on the fly because if we pull this thread, if we want to do something in episode four, well, in episode two, we've already set this up. It was more of getting the scripts in the best possible shape before we even started filming so that we didn't have to do a lot of that. I think they still ran into issues, especially season one, because... You guys shut down for COVID, didn't you? Yeah, and certain actors did not want to come back. And so the entire, actually, not the entire ending, but a large part of the ending had to be rewritten because I think it was one or two of the older cast members, rightfully, respectfully so, were like, hey, yeah. we don't feel comfortable. Because we, we were one of the first shows back. Like, we shut down mid-March, obviously. And then 
we were filming again in September in New York. And a couple of the cast members were just like, we don't feel comfortable doing this. That created, we had to rewrite a large chunk of the last, like maybe like three or four episodes. And that happened. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any advice for actors who are looking to produce their own work other than keeping writing? Do you think it's better for them to be actively acting in their work while they're writing it? What would you say? I think for anyone, the more control you have over your career, the better. And not waiting for someone else to put you in something. If producing your own stuff, I mean, I feel like I wish that I was proactive when I was younger and was doing more stuff like that. I mean, unfortunately, at the time, what was the big digital camera then? Like the red or something, which was still like exorbitantly so expensive. expensive. Yeah. And like no one owned when you still had to rent it and like figuring out the tapes. I, I have no idea. I, when I went to college, we were shooting on 16 millimeter and like trying to figure out how to like change the film, like under like a hood. <laughs> I thought that like with an iPhone, you could record a, a whole movie and it, with, with maybe one adaptive lens look pretty damn good. I mean, I wish I had that ability when I was younger. I, I mean, I say that I probably still would have been amazing not done anything, but I'll pretend like I would have I would really have created a lot of content. It's easy enough to be able to, to make your own stuff now that I think anyone, especially if they're writing as well, should be trying to film it somehow. Do, Do you think there's one type of content over another that is like seen by more people do you think it is the short form like tiktok youtube stuff or do you think I mean, it's like uh, you know are you in writers rooms like referencing things on social media does that come up do you hear from agents or managers oh god yes and no okay oh, i have this like ptsd of i feel like it's calmed down a little bit but there was this knee-jerk reaction a couple of years ago where it's just like anybody's got a big following cast them somehow and we can yes. leverage that. And so I had this animated series on Netflix for one season. And we were like starting to cast the voice actors for the show. We had this producer. I feel like he was in like in play somehow with these like managers and like getting a cut or something. Because he kept <laughs> trying to like, all he wanted to do was like leverage this like random person's Instagram audience for like, give them a role on something. Give them the, let them do this voice. And you're like, well, can they, it would be like that chocolate rain or something. Remember that guy who had that like, weird <laughs> voice? It would be someone like that whose voice is particularly like, we can't have them be a voice actor if that's what they sound like for this type of show. Oh yeah, but he's got like a million followers. It'd be great. It'll be great. We'd bend over backwards to try to make this happen. And then they would like turn us down. And oh my like, God. what do we do? So I feel like that's maybe calmed down a little bit where I don't see that as much. I mean, I feel like we reference stuff because we want to rip it off somehow. And like, yeah. <laughs> oh, like she'll have like a moment where this TikTok comes out and like, it'll be like, it'll be a version of something that's popular at the time. Mm -hmm. TV is a little easier, but like you date yourself so quickly when you do stuff like that. I mean, I think unfortunately TikTok is where content seems to be right now, as far mm -hmm. as people, re you know, going viral or like getting views. I do think that there are beyond the dance videos there, there is still good content on there. There was that, there was an Instagram account that did, what was it like? It was called like six second films or something. And they had an interesting hook where they would hmm. like make these full length stories in like six seconds. So I guess they were coming out of a vine. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think putting something up on your Vimeo, you know, probably isn't going to start a fire amongst, yeah. you know, Hollywood elite, so to speak. But that look, good content for the most part usually does rise to the surface. Obviously easier said than done and finding an audience is hard with your own stuff. But like, I always love when I find an account that I like and I'll discover it like now. And I see that they've been putting stuff out for two years, once a week. And like, you look at those early videos and there aren't that many hits on them, but you're like, this person had a plan, had a 
schedule and they just kept doing it. And it just took the one that kind of went out and there's like a built-in audience now and you get to go back and look at the other videos. And I always like stuff like that. I mean, it's a commitment, right? It's a commitment commitment. consistently showing up. I understand that. I mean, I used to have a day job. The last thing I wanted to do when I finished was go home and write, but I, I, I did. And then, but then that never ends. Like then you get your dream job and you're a writer, you go home and you write. <laughs> you write, right. <laughs> like, How did this happen? I, I don't know if you ever met Rawson Thurber when he was at Brick. Uh, oh, at I, I knew Rawson before Brick, actually. Oh, you did? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's lovely. We knew each other from the gym. I've done some work with him and he was on the podcast. He's going to be back this season as well. Oh, nice. You know, he talked about it once. I think we were on lunch for the the show I got to do with him. And he was like, you know, it's like shiny object syndrome. Like he's like, I'm filming this show, but now I got this idea and I really want to go do that Mm -hmm. thing. And so when I get home, I'm going to work on that because it sounds so much better than whatever this is right now. And I think that's, that's everything, right? That's whole, like whatever the project is, you're like, I mean, this is great, but also what about this thing? (laughs) It never ends. I mean, sure. And and for actors, especially when like, you know, Poor them. I, these actors who were on like a show that goes seven seasons, like a they teen, a teen stuck. soap, and they yeah. feel stuck. And they're like, "This isn't helping my career." By season three, they're like, "This isn't helping my career anymore." They want to jump ship and do something bigger, or you know, like I do get it. I think one of the appeals of working in the industry is that chances are, every couple of years, every couple of months, you will have a new job, mm-hmm. which is stressful. And can really give you a lot of anxiety, but at the same time, it's nice that you're not just like, well, this is the next 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, I talk to actors about this a lot that we tend to, everyone's like, I just want to consistently work and I want to find my schedule and my routine and my this and Mm. my that. I'm like, but y'all, we picked a job that can change our whole life at the drop of a hat. And that's like magical, but also we kind of hate it sometimes. I always tell the story that Unless you're on like Law Order SVU, <laughs> yes. I always tell the story that like I did not enjoy the movie La, La Land. At the end of the movie, she's like the biggest star in the country, and like she's got this great career. And I'm like, the realistic version of that movie would have been that at the end of it, she was on a sitcom on CBS. It was season five. She was third on the call sheet, and she hated it. And that to me is the realistic version of that movie is that she's not going to become the biggest star in the world. Like if she's a successful actress and she's a working actress, that is her life. Yes. And no one's ever made that version because it's depressing. (laughs) Because it's kind of dark. Dark. I'd watch the shit out of that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Ian, this is so great. Is there any... Obviously, flight attendant. Your other show we're not announcing yet. Is there any other? It's it's fine. It's a show, Dead Boy Detectives. Cool. It's from the world of Sandman. It's not connected to the show on Netflix, but it's from the comic based on characters from it. And it'll be HBO Max next year. Sick. That's awesome. Is there anything else or any other places you want to direct people to? Flight attendants. First two seasons are streaming on HBO Max. You should watch it. Uh, you should watch it. There's still all my old honest trailers are, I think, still on YouTube. You can always <laughs> check those out. Hey, Mighty Med and Bunked are on Disney Plus. <laughs> and Skylanders season three, my animated show, is on Netflix. Hell yeah. But don't I hope, watch those. Wait till next year and yeah. watch the new show. <laughs> yeah. Don't watch the kid stuff. It'll depress me. <laughs> we'll stick to flight attendant. Yeah. Ian, this was awesome. Thank you so yes. much for your time. I really Thank you appreciate so much it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. 